0: What are we thinking about in terms of uh, discussion topic?
1: Yeah, so uh, basically uh, how I generally start every one of these episodes is I just kind of say let's uh, unscrew the lid on your brain a little bit and uh, what are we thinking big picture industry wise, what's scaring you, what's exciting you, what just has you kind of meh and go from there. Hmm. How honest am I supposed to be? Uh, as honest as you want, um, you know a couple thousand people to hear.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's rock and roll.
1: So what do you got for me?
0: Uh, what is scaring me is the absolute um, disdain that the typical insurance company and agency executive have for how dramatically and how quickly the industry is changing.
1: So you think they are underestimating the speed in which the industry is changing? Yes, absolutely. And at what, at what rate do you think it's changing? Um,
0: I think Jack Welch stated that... Um, when the rate of change on the outside of the organization exceeds the rate of change on the inside of the organization, the end is near. And
1: to me, um,
0: that's pretty descriptive of
1: where this industry sits. Have any good news, Marty? Any good news?
0: <laughs> uh, what excites me? Um, the fact that, that the industry is changing so uh, incredibly fast creates huge opportunities for um, agents that are nimble and carriers that are nimble. But that requires, you know, action. It does not require sitting on uh, your laurels, sitting in the pits. I mean, you could, we, could, we, could, we, could, we could run down my whole post for that matter.
1: So, uh, those that are experiencing the rate of change, um, speeding past them on the outside, do we need them to increase their internal speed, or can we have somebody else start to go faster? Um,
0: I think it has to be self-motivated, because I can't drag you down the racetrack you have to you have to you have to buy into the fact that your world is changing that there is a need for you to change your organization to to reflect that changing world um so
1: yeah so so for example do do we need it to be the traditional people like or can somebody you know kind of supplant the 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 incumbents if you will is it is it
0: i think i think that's already beginning to happen um, and we see it. We see it uh, in the people that are that are the leading lights in the industry. You know, um, on the automation front, it's the, it's the vendors that are you know on the agency automation front. It's the vendors that aren't tied to history. So it's, you know, somebody who said, wow, there's this unbelievable open source, contact, client-based system out there. Maybe I can build the components that are insurance-specific on top of it. And that's called Tekkenary. They've yeah. got,
1: right? Yeah. Uh, and and so like this is kind of like hey um, you know we kind of say we want to have an open API but we don't really know and or don't really have one fully sort of thing is that what you're kind of getting at Yeah, that's correct. And
0: and more importantly, um, I don't have fifteen hundred developers that are all working to make this platform better.
1: So yeah, I mean, so the the one thing that always kind of. Uh, as I sit back and think about this, you know, it's like, what motivation do they have to to slow things down? Like, I don't, I don't know why they, why they feel like not innovating is in the best interest of their business model of like trying to, you know, fighting for. I always kind of attribute it to fighting forward versus fighting backwards. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you're always going to get further fighting forwards than you are backwards. I think. So, one of the challenges that we've
0: always had um, in, in the insurance industry is that as big as it is, it's, you know, that's what we would call a vertical application, right? So, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm building a policy management system for an insurance company or a claim system or an agency management system, because it's so specific to the thing that we do, insurance... And maybe even specific to only PNC insurance, or maybe even specific yes. to only one line of business. Yeah. Um, the audience for consumption of that product is much smaller than if we created a horizontal product that would reach across companies, right? So. And a classic example, that is uh, Salesforce or, you know, Microsoft Dynamics. The, the point is those products, um, those products reach across multiple verticals. And because of that, the universe for users is so much bigger and the sales of the product are therefore so much greater, assuming that the product is good and the products that I've quoted are. Um that the cost, you know, a, a common measurement in software is function point, right? So how many function points does your software have? The, the measurement across that um, product, it, if we take two products that both have the same number of function points, pick a number, 10,000, 100,000, I don't care what it is, Um and then we go out and one can sell across multiple industries and one can only sell into one industry. The cost or the revenue per function point, the cost per function point is about the same, right? Because we've got good developers in both organizations and both software companies. But the revenue per function point is dramatically lower in a vertical industry. So, therefore, by definition, the products that are unique to insurance are more costly. Than those out in the industry. This was, you know, this this came home very hard to me when I first left the agency, all those years ago, and I went to be a product manager for a, uh, an agency agency product software company. And I tried to compare what we were building to the state-of-the-art at that time. They were sort of primitive CRM systems that were out there. And and because our product was so specifically focused on insurance, right, I had this very narrow vertical that I was selling into. And so when I wrapped my head around that, um, it sort of gave me a new appreciation. But it also creates a huge... Um, Sort of a, a sort of an unspoken challenge, and that is, if I can buy this really great software from somebody else that's a that's a horizontal application at pennies, why am I paying you dollars?
1: And all right, so you maybe are you maybe are may swaying me here, Marty, just a little bit, but. Uh, not not entirely, so yes, um, we seem to have
0: come we seem to have come uh, a few cardinal points on the compass away from where we started, but that's all right, and just out of curiosity, we're recording now, aren't we? Yeah, we've been recording the whole time, yeah, okay, that's what I figured,
1: man. yeah, that's how we do it. Come on, man, we yeah, got it's casual, um, yeah, I mean, so um, I mean, uh, I kind of i I get it, right? like it makes sense. Uh, but I guess my point is, is like, you know, we have vendors in the, you know, in the industry, um, you know, that, that they, again, they feel like they, they think they need to go horizontally across the industry. Right. Um, whereas, you know, why can't we just let things come in come out? You know, I I guess we, I feel like we make it more difficult than it needs to be. And, and it's, it's at our detriment, right? Because we're working at an even greater disadvantage because we can't get things aligned.
0: I, so I think there are some companies that do a better job of being, let's just use the, the, the generic term, open, than others. Yeah. Some are very proprietary, and um, they make it difficult to work. Um, they, they make it difficult for outside uh, outside product vendors to have access to their ecosystem. And, and part of that is defensive in nature. Um, Part of it's out of fear, right? Yeah. Um, Part of it's greed. Why would I integrate with you, uh, Joey, when, if I can figure out how to build what you're trying to sell, um, and I can give it to my clients. Well, I can get money from all my clients. It's coming. I'm getting a hundred percent of the revenue instead of whatever the partnership arrangement that we work out. If you sell your product to my clients. Right. Um, and so I think there are, there are people who do better at understanding that, you know, a win is a win, uh, can't remember the two authors. One was Nail Buff, and the other guy was something else. And they wrote a book for the Harvard uh, Business Review called uh, Coopetition, and it was about too frequently we think of the world as yours versus mine, and we don't think enough about the added benefits if we work on certain initiatives. We don't have to work in partnership on everything, but if some initiatives we um, join together we have a real opportunity to change the dynamic, right? And um, it's, everybody would like a walled garden. I mean, why wouldn't you? The customer is yours and yours alone. Um, And if you are completely knowledgeable and you are completely technically adept and um, every one of your customers is willing to adopt and move forward at the fastest Pace possible, um, and they can ge- and and you can generate enough enough revenue off of that customer stream that you can keep the existing customers happy and build new product for them, but also um, have a cost competitive op- offering that other people join your walled garden. Why not keep the walls as high as possible? The problem is is when you've got a walled garden and something is going on that you don't maybe understand or that you don't um, have visibility to, then all of a sudden something new explodes and uh, guess what? It's like the scene in um, uh, the second um, Lord of the Rings movie, right? Where they bring this amazing black powder lit with a fuse into the walls of the impenetrable castle, right? Right helms deep and they blow this huge hole in and all the bad guys are streaming in all of a sudden and you know that going back i guess to my opening statement when i thought we were prepping not recording um that's (laughs) always always recording marty (laughs) you 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 and that sly little laugh i realize you got me this time never again my friend got a quick Um, trigger finger on that that's right um the the problem we have is that there are lots and lots of those little secret initiatives right there's the the wizard who has this new chemical compound that we've never seen before and what scares me is that too frequently we believe that we're we're you know we're we're in helms deep and it's never been broached they will break like the waves on our you know on our rocks the rocks of our of our wall well i got news for you that worked until somebody came up with an
1: airplane. So they didn't uh, have
0: to go through the wall; they went over it.
1: So I, so the way that I look at it is, you know, if you build the wall too high, you can't see over it, kind of that's, thing. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, um, <laughs> you know, and I'm all for proprietaryism. I'm sure that's not a word, but um, you know, basically, every every notch you bring up that proprietary level, it's just that's how much better you need to be in executing that. You know what I mean? But I feel like. They just want to execute at the level of the thing that they're really good at and just keep it there, as opposed to, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like if I can get a really great proprietary experience, give it to me, right? Like, I'll sign up for it. I mean, sell me on it, you know, just make it, make it be the best thing. But I feel like there's just, you know, they, they, they kind of get, I feel like this is just an industry in general, right? Just not, I don't think this is, you know, specific to insurance. Um, You just kind of get in love with yourself a little bit and just think you you get to this, like, hey, because we made it, it's great sort of thing. You get the, You know, the mom patting you on your back, your grandma telling you you did a great job sort of thing when, you know, it might not necessarily be true.
0: Yeah. So here's an analogy that I think makes perfect sense. Um, And that is um, we don't have in the big picture open source cars. A car is an incredibly complicated system where everything's got to work right so that you can get down the road. So you buy a Ford or a Chevy or, you know, a Volvo. Um, That being said, car companies are the masters of taking subsystems that maybe they didn't create in-house. They didn't build it in-house, but they've got suppliers who bring all that stuff together and then the car company assembles those components, some of them built by, you know, a unit of Ford and some of those built by, you know, um, you know, Marty's upholstery shop and all that stuff goes in and a Ford Explorer goes out the door of the factory in Dearborn. So um, I think that for too long, we've assumed that we were the car company and we had to build it all ourselves. So that might be a different way to look at it that might, might make a little more sense since not a, not many of our listeners probably are in the software assembly game.
1: Yeah, I mean, so ba- basically, yeah. Um, you and the cars, Marty. I just, I don't know if I can hang with the car references. <laughs> I, just, I told you, man, I'm a car guy. What can I say? Yeah, I'm am, I am the least... I'm the furthest thing from a car guy, so um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do my best to keep. it. Okay, those. so so let's I got, I got let's, let's go ex- like this. I'm, I'm
0: going I'm going right to your sweet spot. Let's do it. Okay, um, Paul and I. Jeez, this is what happens when you get old. Uh, Paul McCartney. No, guitar manufacturer. Les Paul. Les thank Paul. you very much, Les Paul. Right, one of the most uh, revolutionary guitars on the planet. Were, is every pickup that's in a Les Paul been manufactured by the Gibson company? Probably not. Probably not, right? So is a humbucker, is that is that Gibson technology? I don't know. I don't
1: know. No, probably, don't know. Not.
0: no probably, probably not, right? So, so, but at some point, I would imagine, so for those of you who might not be up to speed, uh, Joey loves his guitar. You want to? riff on guitars for a little bit you like that musical reference
1: uh, yeah there you go marty checks in the mail on that one um yeah i mean i, I consider myself a bass guy first marty but i mean i'll settle for guitar. okay right, right. well
0: it's got four strings it's got six strings that's just a matter of you know
1: yeah i prefer word? i prefer five strings on my bass but you know, oh I'm not gonna, nice I'm not judge with
0: frets it. or without
1: uh i'm not good enough to play without so okay so maybe someday but i doubt it i think i'm already past my musical prime um so, yeah, I mean, I yeah, right. I, I think we all, you know, so basically what you're saying is this like, are we are we saying like maybe this is an open love letter to um, some people playing in the space like, hey, maybe just take a look around and see if you like anything and, and you know, kind of ask each other out on a date. Is that what I'm hearing a little bit? I,
0: what I, I think, I, I, I believe, um, having come back from a couple of uh, tech events in the last 12 months that that's beginning to happen. I think that um, on the technology vendor side of the coin, people are beginning to um, sort of their eyes are being opened to the fact that, you know, even though we're pretty cool in our little walled garden, there's a lot of other stuff going on outside our garden that maybe we should pay attention to. And I mean, it could be as stupid as, you know, the uh, topic de jour Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So... I don't know how many software vendors out there are actually, you know, thinking about um, um, technologies like Bitcoin, uh, the ability to take payment in Bitcoin, or even, you know, the whole blockchain, which is sort of the underlying technology, which is, blockchain is a very complicated thing, but the easy way to describe it is, it is a um, incontrovertible proof that something has happened. So, uh, Marty and Joey agree to do business together. Um, Marty signs a document today. In the physical world, I sign a document. If it never gets to you or you have a reason to say that you never got it, I don't really have proof that it happened, right? In the blockchain world, we do the same exact agreement. As soon as I sign that document electronically, um, that transaction is immediately replicated to tens of thousands of computers all across the world, so now even if Joey says, "Nah, whatever that deal was that I made with Marty, I don't want to be involved in it because Marty's a shyster and he tears the deal up," there's ten thousand other computers. Ten thousand other up. computers say, "Sorry, Joey. Even though you think you want to tear it up, we still have proof that it happened, right?" So, um, so, so maybe that's a critical piece. And you, you, if you, you know, read some of the, the the sort of the way out there thinking, there are people trying to figure out how does this blockchain technology um, fit into the world of, of insurance. I mean, our buddy Jeff Roy, right? He's playing with chatbots. I mean, there's another thing. Yeah. I don't know that any of the mainline. You know, I don't know that they're not, but I I don't know that they are any of the mainline. Um, technology vendors in the space are playing with chatbots. I mean, there are some chatbot-specific companies that are trying to sell their wares pr- primarily into insurance companies. But, you know, I, and, and, well, I guess there's uh, there's a couple insurance companies I know they are doing uh, Alexa skills, so that's cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for, believe me, you know, I'm all for whatever whatever we can do to make an agent's job. I think we just haven't really set our boundaries on like who does what really well. You know what I mean? Um, that kind of, I think it's maybe a little bit of a problem.
0: Um, so I, there's a couple of things going on there and there's a couple of directions I could go with this. Um, I think to some degree, the boundaries were set. If you're talking about the boundaries in who whose duties are whose duties are whom, if that's the right way to say that, whose duties belong to whom yeah. at, in that in, in the in the, yeah, in, the in the in the delivery of product and insurance policy to a client, who does what to whom has been defined historically. It has not been reengineered for the new world. So I am a, um, you know, if there's anything I've said once and will continue to harp on until probably I'm six feet in the ground, it's, I believe that the responsibility for marketing has fundamentally shifted and where, where in the past, the primary focus of marketing and insurance companies products took place In the agency, I think that that needs to be rethought. I believe that the main line, main street agent can do some level of marketing in today's world, but many of them are ill-equipped to do state-of-the-art, broad-based marketing that needs to be done. Uh, in order to be relevant to the consumer of today and
1: most definitely tomorrow. so That's, uh, I, that's a, little, a little hot take uh, there, Marty. The mic, uh, you got, you got Evan Mitts on over there? You holding that mic? Yeah, well,
0: you know, uh, well, it, it sits on a stand, so I don't have to touch it. But, so, but, but here's why I say that. Um, I think it's easy for an agent to be relevant in um, their local community. I think it's harder for an agent to be relevant in a, and, and when I say local or regional, statewide, national, and each one of those could have a different definition depending upon the agency and where they are, right? So a regional a regional um, agency in the, you know, intermountain region, say Western Colorado, Eastern um, Utah, Okay. I mean, that could be hundreds of square miles. Uh, In New York City, it might be five miles. So, But I think that the ability in today's world for an agency to have the same level of impact that they had 40 or 50 years ago has dramatically changed. Because the technologies have changed and the consumer behaviors have changed. And so the only way that we can address that as an industry, unfortunately, is to have very concentrated effort, which realistically costs more money than the average agency is devoting to marketing. And that's why I made the hot, the hot take.
1: Yeah, I'm just uh, so I can say uh, direct your uh, all of your um, positive thoughts to Marty at AgencyNation.com. Can I say that? Absolutely. Okay, great. Um, so yeah, Marty at AgencyNation.com. Let him let him hear what you. So I I, I agree with you, right? This is the I I kind of classify it as the one percent, right? Like there's just a certain amount of agents that kind of just you know even have an interest in, in in participating in those activities that are effective in a you know. 2018 world. Um, You know, the funny thing is many of them migrate to us. Yeah. And, and,
0: and quite rightly, right? Because that's what we're talking about today. And we might be a little incendiary at times, but, but the honest truth is unless we explore, explore the sort of the, the edge, we get close, we, we, we get close to that hot topic. It's too easy to, to remain in the comfort zone. And so, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but so so, so there's a small percentage that, that are, you know, sort of willing to do that heavy lifting. Go, keep going. I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, just naturally geared towards it, right? I mean, it's yeah. just it's a different type of agent that never existed before. Um, I mean, I, so I just think it's uh, – let me put it this way. I think all the, the, the tools and skills are there. They just never – uh, it's not natural to think uh, to broadcast it to the world, right? They're fully comfortable doing it uh, at a BNI meeting or, you know, at whatever, um, you know, community event, right? Like that's, they feel like that's their comfort zone. We haven't really figured out and flipped the switch that we just need to have that skill set on when maybe not another human being is around, but a microphone or a camera. And, um, I think that's, I think once we maybe make that mindset, a shift in mindset, that that might maybe help kind of unlock a lot of people to, you know, give themselves permission to be good at this or okay at it or even like it or enjoy it even. That might be, you know, blasphemy, but, you know, I, I think it's okay. No. I, and
0: the only thing that I would say um, in defense, maybe of uh, the people who are, Sort of concerned that that um, the game has changed and they may not have the necessary skill set to 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 um, be effective in that new world is I think you know when I got my start in the insurance business the way you were out in front of people had nothing to do with microphones and cameras, but it did have to do with picking up the phone and dialing somebody you'd never talked to before yeah. or knocking on a door for a business and, you know, trying to step inside and hand them your business card, right? And say, when's your ex date? So, so the good salespeople were out there anyway, outside their comfort zone. It's just that the, the definition of the zone has changed, So, um, and, and what's scary is you get to a certain, um, point and that, that point is different for every individual, but you get to a certain point where you're pretty comfortable doing what you've done the way you've always done it. Right. And this is where I think we have a challenge. One of the biggest challenges of our industry is, um, too frequently, the leaders of our insurance organizations are individuals of sort of my uh, age cadre and the people that we're leading are people of your age or younger. And because I'm in a position of authority, I tell you, Joey, no, um, you can't do your stuff via social and, The internet, I need you to go knock on doors because that's how I did it. And that's how I became successful. And look at me, I've got the corner office and I play golf. So um, that's where I think it's incumbent on the leadership of these, of our insurance organizations to really begin to trust their staff and to empower their staff to start doing the things that they know how to do because I got news for you. If you had waited for me to tell you to start doing your Sunday, you know, video thing, you wouldn't have heard it for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's actually a Sunday newsletter, money but yes, yes, thank you. Should I make it a video?
0: I would love a video.
1: I think I'm usually writing it at like, uh, you know, it's literally Saturday night at like 11 PM. So I don't know if anybody really wants to see that, but that's usually <laughs> me in a hooded sweatshirt, you know, well, in the dark that's open. all right. That's all right. Um, but no, in, in all seriousness, right. So, um, yeah, I think, so here's the thing. This is the one thing I will, as we kind of, you know, wind this thing down, I think, um, the, like you said, have to trust them. I think the, the trust loop needs to be a lot longer and bigger because, you know, they say, I'm going to, oh, here, you go do this thing and do it for like six weeks. And, oh, did it work? No? Oh, okay. Utter failure. Go chain yourself to the phone again. Or, you know what, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't think the expectations are um, properly set to kind of allow for the success to, to kind of take hold. Um, you know, I, I just think there's unrealistic expectations on how fast it's going to work. And also, too, the two other variables in this, outside of just your overall patience, is the overall talent level of the person creating because it is such a different environment and the strategy, right? I see so many people mess up the strategy and they're like, why isn't it working? It's like, well, you're just not talking about the thing that people care about or they need and that's why they're not calling you. I, yeah,
0: it's, so- so. The big challenge we have, the big challenge we have, and, and uh, we 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 talk about this maybe not frequently enough, but we've certainly said it before, is we love what we do, we understand what we do, we understand the value proposition that we bring, we as as the insurance profession bring to the table. The challenge is many of the people that we have as customers or who we want as customers may not see or understand the product as deeply as we do, nor do they understand um, the value that we bring when the worst happens and we deliver on the promises that we've made. So the challenge in many instances in what you're describing is we assume that the people want to understand our product and our offerings. And so that's what we talk about. Why do we talk about it? Because we're familiar with it, because we're professionals, because we're proselytizing. We want people to understand, you know, that we're not used car salesmen. salesmen. But the challenge is in this new world, that isn't the first reason people are are interacting with us. And if they, if, if you know, I, I have uh, heard it said this way, the human mind is one of the most sophisticated um, BS detectors that's ever been invented. And the minute we believe that the intent doesn't match the message, our brains shut off, the walls go up, and we don't want any part of it. So the challenge with a six-week deliverable, and uh, say not fully formed understanding of how to use the tool; those two things going together, unrealistically short time frame. Maybe I'm not doing it as as, as good as I should. So my message is coming across maybe a little with a little harder edge than I than I want to portray or maybe even that I know that I'm, you know, that I'm portraying, the results don't come. And then the worst thing happens. And that is rather than persevering, you know, it, it, it's kind of like um, a six hour trip across the desert. You've got water for six hours. Get three and a half hours into the desert and all of a sudden, lose faith and turn around. You're not going to make it either way. So we have to have the faith to get through that dry spell, that dry spell where it doesn't seem like this new methodology that we're adopting has any real fruit, right? So if we go back to or if we go back to the um, To the technology, you know, the technology discussion we we started with, and we talk about um, this new world where we're going to be open to partnering. Maybe, maybe those partnerships don't initially bear fruit. Maybe that, maybe that offering is just a little bit too far out there for people to be comfortable with, right? there's this whole technology analogy that goes back, um, written by a, uh, a very bright guy. He called it uh, the chasm. And basically he said technology adoption starts with the wide-eyed visionaries first. They are the people, they don't care if it's fully baked. You've got something, they go, oh my gosh, I know what you're trying to do with this. Give it to me no matter how built it is. I don't care. Let me play with it. You know what, it might go completely bust. I don't care, it's cool. Those people, they're they're not even looking for ROI. They're just doing it because they wanna do it, right? And on the sales side, those are the people who adopt every new social technology, who who are out there pioneering whether it ever results in an insurance policy being sold or not. They're out there doing it. The next group is the early adopters. They go, it's gotta be fully baked. It has to be there so that I can understand it and I can use it in my business. I'm not going to totally, you know, re-engineer everything and finish the thing that you should have done before you gave it to me. I, it's got to be fully baked before I'll take it, but it's there. And so a small group of people. So you got like 1% and now we got 5%, maybe it's 10% of the marketplace says, you know what? This is cool. Don't Don't really understand exactly how I'm going to use it, but it's, fully built. I can, let me start experimenting. They expect to see some ROI, but then you have this huge chasm, which is once you're through that small group of people, the early adopters, nobody else is buying. Nobody is buying because the people that have enough vision to see this is the thing that's really going to, you know, revolutionize my business They're too busy making it work and they may not be having success with it yet. Right? So this is the guy that's been, uh, maybe, maybe he had some success with Facebook and now he's trying to figure out how to make Instagram work. Until the success stories start coming out of that second group of people, the early adopters, that the mainstream... The mainstream buyers go, you know, Marty, that guy's crazy. He he buys all the stuff that's half baked and he wastes his money on it. He's, you know, I I go to his office and he's got every technology. It's three years old, it's sitting on the shelves gathering dust because it's not worth anything anymore. But Joey, that guy kind of got it, you know? And Joey, when he does something, it usually works. And you know what? He's on Instagram. And he's starting to drive prospects with Instagram. As a matter of fact, he wrote a blog post about it last Sunday. That's when you get beyond the chasm. And now the major portion of the marketplace starts to buy. And that is where too many times, too many times, in the technology world and in the agency world or the the, the insurance delivery world, let's broaden it to include carriers, that we get stuck. And that, that early majority, that first part that's beyond this sort of desert, that's where too many times we sit and wait. We sit on our hands waiting for a perfect solution. And that's, And that represents the risk that that we started the call with. I think we've got a lot of people in that. I got to see Joey get it actually up and running before I'm going to commit myself to it.